Welcome to the Crowd Church Podcast. We are an online church and you are listening to the service that we also live stream on YouTube and Facebook. For more information about Crowd Church, please visit our website at www.crowd.church. Good afternoon and welcome to, well, good afternoon, good evening and welcome to Crowd Church. My name is Matt Edmondson and beside me is the amazingly talented and uh, incredibly beautiful lady who is a, what's that saying your hoodie, Anna? Strong Girls Girls Club. They are a member of the Strong Girls Club. Uh, Anna, how are you doing? I'm good. I mean, how can I not be good after that intro? That was <laughs> It's all true. It's all true. I tell you, it's all true. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Crowds. Great to see you. For those that uh, have never been to Crowd before, let me just give you a very warm welcome. We are an online church uh, that is just here to explore life, faith, meaning, talk about the Christian faith. We talk a lot about Jesus uh, and, and who he is and what he does and all those kind of good things. So wherever you are on your Christian journey, whether you know, you're know you very new and this is your first time to any kind of church service or whether, like me, you've been around a while, it's great to see you. It's great that you're here. So a big, warm welcome to you. Absolutely. So... Anna, how was your weekend, by the way? It's been good. I've been away, actually. I've had a mum's weekend off. Well, 24 hours. Like, yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Let's get our terminology <laughs> right. Behind. So, yeah, it was very restful. Oh, wow. So you've got a super husband. Yeah. yeah. I occasionally get away and uh, get a mum's only session. So that was good. Yeah, it was lovely. Oh, nice. nice and... How's yours uh, been? Yeah, good, good. Uh, I spent yesterday messing around in the doing a bit of woodwork, uh, which is just fantastic because it's not digital. Uh, and then today we were at church this morning in Liverpool. Went to uh, was leading the church service, which was great. We had a great time. Uh, and uh, if you are in Liverpool, by the way, and you would like to come and watch and do in-person church, uh, then do come join us uh, at our service site in Wavertree. Great to see you. Um, we had a great time this morning with Beth and Chris Kent. Chris has been on the live stream before, uh, talking this morning about the Holy Spirit. So that was phenomenal, uh, which was yeah great to be a part of. Then this afternoon, watched Hamilton win the Grand Prix uh, and heard the news. And in fact, Matt Crew has put it in the comments here that we need to pray for Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know who Ollie is, uh, he is or was the manager of Manchester United Football Club. Uh, and um, yeah, let's just say he no longer is. So uh, yes, good to see you. Uh, is it not a bit of a uh, like bad thing to like pray for Man United when you live in Liverpool? I don't know. Is that not a bit controversial? Well, can I be honest? <laughs> can I be honest? And I appreciate this is church and not a football. Uh, conversation. Uh, I was hoping that Ollie would stay because I am a big Liverpool fan, and so um, I was a bit disappointed he got sacked. Because from my point of view, he was good for Manchester United. Uh, Dan, good evening, great to see you. Sharon's here. Matt Crew is here. Uh, even your good self has written in the comments. Hi, peeps, uh, Miss Anna. There, well done. So great to see you. Now, do you want to explain the phone number uh, below? Can you point to it? In fact, let's do that. I can. It's oh, here. Here. It's harder this week. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> there it is, people. There's a phone number here which you can uh, contact us on. Um, yeah, just you can um, message while we're live now, or you can contact us through the weeks with any prayer requests or just anything you want to talk to us about at all. We're always ears open, aren't we? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally true. You can get hold of us via that WhatsApp number. Uh, and the reason uh, why I say to Anna, can you point to it, is whoever's hosting, we always try and get each other to point to the number because in the screens it's backwards. And so you, it, it throws your sense of direction off completely. So uh, that's why we do it. It's a bit of an in-joke. Anyway, that's a WhatsApp. I'd also just like to point out that Matt yeah. doesn't have a problem and all the other presenters do. He has a special setup that isn't back to front, but yeah. normal computers like mine don't do that. <laughs> so, just in case anyone thinks Matt is better at this than us, he's actually not. 
Yeah, Matt. Matt's got a little bit more technology in the cave. That's uh, that's what Matt did. He uh, he he saw this problem happening on a regular basis and thought, oh, I'll just flip everything around and then I'm okay. So I can do that uh, without any problems. So yes, uh, <laughs> you can also see there the web address. So you can uh, view all the information, all past talks, everything like that is online, and you can catch up on there. So Anna, what have we got coming up this week? Let's tell the good folks what is happening. Yeah, so today we've got uh, wonderful John Harding, Pastor John, speaking to us all about marriage and relationships. So that should be really cool. And then we've got some worship coming up from Anna Grace Farrington. And then we'll be going to Conversation Street and having a bit of a chat about the subject afterwards. So lots to look forward to in this session. Absolutely. So if you do have any questions, thoughts, comments and all that sort of good stuff as we're going through, do write them in the comments either on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you watch them from or via WhatsApp. You can reach us through those if you don't want them to appear in the comments. You can put your questions to us and we will endeavour to try and answer as many as we can in Conversation Street. And as you said, Anna, this one is about marriage and relationships. Uh, So John is going to get into this whole thing. We are or have been doing a series called what does the bible say about and this whole series is um what does sorry my phone's just gone off uh, that's very poor very poor from my point very unprofessional uh, what does the bible say about so this series just looks at a whole bunch of questions what it, we've looked at what does the bible say about science what does the bible say about sleep what does the bible say about anxiety is proven to be a popular one uh, and this week as we've said is what does the bible say about marriage and relationships uh, so without further ado, here is John Harding talking about this very topic. What does the Bible say about marriage and relationships? It's a big question, isn't it? This is the question that I've been asked to share some thoughts on today with all of you lovely folks connecting into Crowd Church. And obviously, this is just such a massive, massive topic, and relationships are so complex and unique. So we couldn't possibly cover every variation and situation in this talk. So, for example, if I say today that I believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is for life, I'm not going to be able to cover all of the different situations and circumstances where I believe a marriage might need to end, for example, if a person is at risk of harm. And and that's why I think it's so important to get connected into a small group of Christians who you can talk to and process stuff with and hear God speaking to you through that wisdom of the group. So I am pretty sure that if you contact us at Crowd Church, we can help you with that. We'd love to connect you into that sort of group for further discussion and unpacking. So God's plan for marriage and relationships. It's a massive topic I can only cover one or two ideas today. It's a nuanced, complex, varied thing. I can only talk generally today. I can't cover every scenario. But also, this topic of relationships, it is hugely emotive. It's an emotional topic. You may have experienced all sorts of pain and brokenness through relationships. You might have a strong reaction when I say something like before, when I say the Bible teaches marriage is for life, you might think, well, 
my marriage ended. I worked really hard at it and it still ended up in divorce. That might be your truth, your reaction. So right at the start of this talk today on relationships, I want to stress one truth, one idea above all, and it is this. God loves you. He loves you. He sees you. God knows you. He knows all of what you've been through and he loves you. He loves you with all of his love all of the time. And he wants to invite you into a deeper relationship with himself. He wants to take you on a journey of healing and forgiveness so that as you move forward in life, following him, your relationships can be transformed. So we're not here at Crowd Church to judge anyone, uh, but we do want to call everyone into a more fulfilled way of living. The pattern for living that we see in the Bible. So. What are some of the biblical principles for relationships? And my first point I want to share with you is this. Relationship is part of who God is. The God of the Bible is the God of relationship. Relationships were his idea. As Christians, we believe in this divine mystery too big to get our heads around that that God is one, but that this one God exists in three part relationship father son spirit all in loving unending union father son spirit loving one another serving one another perfect equality perfect unity god exists in relationship and that's really important because i don't think we can ever really understand the bible unless we read it in that way to see first and foremost number one who god is and what god is like And then secondly, how we as humans are invited to share in and participate in that fullness of who God is. It is the simple and profound truth at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis says, God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make humans in our image. Father, Son, Spirit, three persons in relationship making humans to reflect this, to echo this, to flesh this truth out. And I believe that human relationships, so relationships on this horizontal level, friendship, family, marriage, in order for these relationships to flourish, in order for us to flourish in them, we need to firstly get this vertical relationship right. Get connected into relationship with God, the Father, Son and Spirit. Get the vertical relationship piece right and the horizontal aspects of relationship, our relationships with one another. They will be far more fruitful and fulfilling. There's so much truth and and so much wisdom, so much we could learn and apply from that single idea that God exists in relationship and we are made in his image to imitate that relationship, that pattern for relationship. But let me give you just one little example of how that idea of who God is transforms relationship. Something that I believe Christians have got really wrong in the past and it's, it's this, equality in marriage. The idea of equality in marriage. You see, when we look at the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, all three persons are totally equal because all three are 100% God, fully God. All three are to be worshipped and adored. Each person of the Trinity is distinct and different from the rest. And yet each person of the Trinity is equal. Diversity and equality. Now, how does that apply to marriage? Well, for example, when Adam and Eve, the first humans created by God, uh, before there was any sin in the world, any brokenness in the world, it, it says that Eve was described as Adam's suitable helper. That's the phrase that's used in the Hebrew Bible, a suitable helper. But when you dig a bit deeper and look at the original Hebrew language, the word helper has nothing to do with inferiority 
and superiority. In fact, throughout the Bible, the same word helper, the exact same word is used of God. God is our helper and God can't be inferior. So then when you look at the word suitable in the original Hebrew, a suitable helper, it means one who stands face to face, who boldly looks the other in the eye, eye to eye, equal. Eve was a suitable helper for Adam because she was his equal. That's what made her suitable. Now, it's only when you uh, read about how they took the forbidden fruit, it's only when sin and brokenness entered the world, that's when it says inequality between men and women enter the world. So I would go as far as to say that if you're a Christian and you're treating a person you're in relationship with as less than you, that you're somehow superior, that they're somehow not equal to you, especially in marriage, I would say you are cooperating with the fall, with the first sin. You're not living in a way that God intended. And quite frankly, the Bible calls that whenever we fall short of God's perfect standard, it calls it sin. So when we look at the nature of God that shapes and informs how we can be in relationship a fulfilling relationship with others. That's point one. God is relational and we are made in his image to be like him, to live like him. Let me do points two and three now. Uh, point two is marriage. Marriage is a lifelong union between one man and one woman. And point three is singleness. Deep, non-sexual friendships, marriage and singleness, points two and three. Now, I say that together because when you look at the Bible, when you read the Bible, there are only ever two types of relationships that the Bible affirms and celebrates and promotes, marriage and singleness. I know that when we look at Christians around the world, so-called followers of Jesus across the world today, I know that you might get the impression that they're an angry bunch, that they're against this and they're against that. I am so sorry for Christians that are like that. But this talk is not about the sorts of relationships the Bible is against. God is not against you. I'm simply wanting to outline the sorts of relationships that are celebrated in the Bible. And the Bible only consistently celebrates marriage and singleness. So um, point number two, what does the Bible say about marriage? How does the Bible describe the relationship between husband and wife? Well, throughout the Bible, there's this consistent description of marriage that is used. First of all, in Genesis 2, verse 24, to describe the archetypal, I, I suppose the prototype model of relationship marriage of Adam and Eve. And then it is used throughout the Bible and later by Jesus himself to define marriage. If you've ever been to a wedding, you'll have probably heard these words. This is what it says of marriage. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother Cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Three parts. Leave, cleave, one flesh. And if you're really switched on, hopefully you'll be able to connect that back to the nature of God. But essentially to, to leave is the legal part. It is about a public ceremony in every culture. That's how this idea gets defined in the Bible, marriage is, according to the Bible, a legally binding thing. Um, in marriage, a husband and wife legally belong to each other. We call this idea covenant. In ancient cultures, there would be a marriage procession from the parental house to the new marital house. In some cultures, a handprint would be left. As a reminder, you can't have a successful marriage if one or both of the couple prioritise the old relationship with the parents over their partner. You have to leave that relationship. So leave, the legal. Number two, cleave. That's an old-fashioned word that simply means to be emotionally joined together. Leave the legal, cleave, emotional. It's about exclusive intimacy, a unique, exclusive kind of love in marriage. 
Well, love in marriage, that is a big topic in itself, isn't it? What does love in marriage look like and how do you maintain it? As I've said at the start, this is a really brief introduction to the topic, but let me just say that when the Bible talks about love in marriage, it's talking about something that includes attraction and romance, but it's something that is far, far, far bigger than romantic love. It's about love expressed as commitment, love expressed as sacrifice, the idea of two being bound together in love. Now, the example I often use of this type of love I tell the story of um, one of my boys and when he was little, he had this old teddy bear called Maxi Bear. And one year when we were on holiday, um, we realised we'd left it. So we drove a couple of hours back to the place we were staying in Wales, searched everywhere to find it. A five pound teddy bear from Asda in one sense of little value. But because it was loved, it was valuable. Romantic love, well, that is the sort of love that celebrates what is lovely, what is beautiful. It loves what is admirable. But the problem with romantic love like that is it fades. But the sort of love that sustains marriage is the sort of love that gives value. It beautifies, it creates value, it creates worth like my son's love for that old bear. So marriage in the Bible is a joining of man and woman legally, the leaving, emotionally, the cleaving, and sexually. Now, Christians, religious people in particular, have often in the past made sex out to be this bad, dirty thing. Uh, But actually, the Bible celebrates sex. It has lots to say about sex. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible devoted to the importance of sex. But here's the caveat. Here's the point. God gives sex only and exclusively within marriage as something to help strengthen marriage. Now, I'm going to say a little bit more about sex in just maybe a minute or two. But so let me move quickly on to the idea of singleness. That's point three. What does the Bible say about singleness? Well, as I've already said, there are only two types of relationships celebrated in the Bible, marriage and non-sexual friendships, singleness. And I do mean that. The Bible celebrates singleness. As a church, as Christians, I think we've got this wrong in the past. We've given the impression that marriage is somehow superior to singleness. But the truth is, if you read the New Testament carefully, if you look at the earliest Christian churches, singleness was seen as superior to marriage. It's a pendulum swing. I mean, mean, think about it for a moment. The most fulfilled, the happiest, the most joyful, fruitful, celebrated person in the whole of human history, Jesus Christ. He himself was single all of his life. And I'm sorry, I'm going to resist the digression of Da Vinci Code tangents because there's simply no academic historical evidence whatsoever to say that Jesus had any form of sexual union. That's a digression. I'm not going to go down. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament uh, and after Jesus was probably the second greatest influence on Christianity. He himself was most probably a widower who then chose to live a single life. One of the biggest challenges for both married people and single people is the way that the world around us has elevated and promoted sex. The act of sex has become this huge obsession and focus in society, probably because A, God made sex to be good, it's a good thing, and B, because sex outside of God's pattern is ultimately unfulfilling and that leads people onto this quest for good sex. But with both sex in marriage and celibacy in singleness, abstinence in singleness, both these ways of life, both of them are there to reflect to one another who God is and how God loves. So as a Christian married man, my greatest priority 
is to my wife, Kirsten, to show her that she is loved and lovable, that I am 100% committed to her. Why? Because God wants to use me to model and demonstrate to Kirsten his love for her. And it's the same in Christian singleness. Your singleness is a gift to you to help you to demonstrate to the world your commitment to God and God's commitment to you. That his love is enough for you. The author Peter Scazzaro says your singleness is your loudest gospel message to the world. And for as long as he keeps you single, he will gift you, equip you, empower you to live in that calling as you look first to him to meet your deepest needs, not looking to another human. I am out of time. (laughs) There is so much more I would love to say on that topic, Um, but that's the power of small groups. So let me simply end with a prayer. Loving God, Father, Son and Spirit, we need your help empower us in our relationships. I pray for every married person watching this video. May there be forgiveness and intimacy as they seek to center their marriages around you. And I pray for those watching who are single. May you envision them in their singleness, in this season of life of singleness. Give them deep friendships and may they know you, Jesus, to be their all-sufficiency to be all that they need. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. That was amazing. There's so much great content in there. And um, we're going to start unpacking that in a few minutes as we go to Conversation Street. So do stop posting your questions or comments on that if you've got any. But first of all, we're going to just listen to a song called What a Beautiful Name. Um, It's a song that's being sung by Anna Grace Barrington, who you may have seen speaking on one of these previous sessions. Um, And she's accompanied by her husband, um, who's also playing piano for her. But just listen to the words, take a few minutes, just reflect and just use this song to kind of, yeah, just think think about uh, God and listen to what he might want to say to you. And uh, then we'll go on to conversation straight. See you in a minute.
There we go. What a fantastic song. Uh, what a fantastic song that is by John and Anna Grace. Love it, love it, love it, love it. We, uh, we've put it in the comments there. If you would like to listen to more of the worship that we do on Crowdchurch, uh, there is a playlist on YouTube where all the songs, in theory, are added, and you can access that and listen to it to your heart's content. Um, I was telling the story this morning, Anna, that one of the songs we put up on YouTube last year, um, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, you know, the, the Christmas carol? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's had over 75,000 views uh, so far. Song, it? Yeah, it's a really popular song. Uh, about 70, no, I think it was about 77,000 views or something like that last time I chased. Anyway, a lot of people really like that song, it seems. Uh, and maybe you're one of them. I don't know. But so it's a lovely song. Anyway. Let's get into uh, this whole thing about marriage and relationships. Uh, it's, uh, it's, as John said at the start of his talk, a very emotive topic. It is complex. It is nuanced. It is not necessarily that straightforward. Uh, and we have got a limited time to talk about it. But let's get into it. Anna, let me start off with the first question. First impressions of John Harding's talk. I mean, I thought it was good. I, I, I think... As he he made the point, didn't he, that it's such a huge topic to cover in like twenty minutes, and mm. I think he squeezed a lot in. He didn't cover everything, but I think he covered some really important points. Mm. For me, the biggest takeaway was that we talk a lot about marriage and relationships in church, and we don't talk about singleness quite as mm. much. And I love the fact that he said singleness is every much every little bit as important as marriage. And that actually the two are on sort of on a par perfectly, mm. that they're both they're both um equal before God, mm-hmm. but not better weighted than the other. And I love that. Um, you know, I I was someone that uh, didn't get married particularly young, so I had a number of years of singleness. And yeah, I, I just really appreciated hearing that. I'm sure other mm. people who have would too. Yeah, it's a really, I, I wrote down actually what he said that, um, you know, the Bible celebrates marriage, it celebrates singleness. And uh, for the longest time, the church has promoted marriage as superior to singleness. Um, but actually, John's comment was when you read the Bible, and especially the New Testament, Paul's writings, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, you look at the life of Jesus, singleness is almost a, a better way than marriage and uh, so i thought that was a really interesting balance that he bought um what's really fascinating is yeah i mean you said you got uh, married uh, later on in life i got married in my mid 20s um and i i knew that i needed to get me sorted out before i even got married i was not in a place that where i do you know what I mean that i had to work on me a, a fair bit but i grew up in a church I said I grew up in a church. Well, I joined the church at 18. It became quite apparent that one of the first things that you were supposed to do as a young man was to find a wife and get married. 
which I don't think is is necessarily that helpful. Uh, did you was that what you experienced? Yeah, I mean, but the other my, way around, obviously, you know. Yeah, my experience was different in that I grew up in church from being a young kid, so um, I suppose that wasn't the only message I ever got in church. But I think definitely being a young woman growing up in church, it's really there's a I, I felt there was a really strong um, sort of sense of like you need to find a you need to find a Christian husband, you need to get married and have a family and that there's really just one path for your life mm. and that's marriage and actually as a young 20 something who felt like i had lots to give i i often felt at times that um the opportunities perhaps weren't there it, not the same opportunities that would have been mm. there if i'd been married or better still married to a church pastor you know, or, or church leader. Um, I'm not dissing that my dad's a church pastor, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I definitely picked up the message that mm. you know, marriage was something to be sought after. Um, I'm not saying it's not a good thing; it is, but that that would be better, and that actually was more spiritual to be married than single. Mm. And I don't I don't think that's true at all, and that's not been my experience. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. And I think if that's the message you've heard, certainly from us, we can only apologise. It's not, we don't think that's right. And I think, um, you know, uh, Sharon's put here in the comments, I'm very glad you spent time searching the Bible on what it means to be a good husband. It definitely paid off. <laughs> so Sharon is my wife, by the way, if you're kind of curious as to who wrote yeah, that. So uh, <laughs> just to clarify. Um, so interesting, isn't it? So uh, you got married... Uh, later on uh, later in life certainly in christian circles it would be deemed a little bit later in life um and uh what sort of things one of the questions that we've been uh, asked about here is can you have a fulfilling life as a single person that was one of the questions that's on my notes here um and john definitely touched on that is there anything you want to add to that yeah i i think every stage of life is different you can have a fulfilling life as a single. I certainly did in my 20s. I served God. I did gap years and missions and traveled lots and had an amazing career. Um, yeah, and just had lots of fun doing lots of different things. And, you know, I've also had a great 30s where I've become married and become a mum. And all of those stages of life are different and they have different challenges. And one's not better than another, but I certainly have less time to kind of serve God now than I did when I was single and younger so you know just my my own you know my sort of preferences come second to my little boy and I have to bear in mind what my husband needs as well and and sort of like balance all of those things so yeah I, yeah. I totally agree what Paul says in the bible about how it's in some ways it's better to be single because then you can serve God you know without distraction yeah um, so yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say one's better or worse i would say they're different different yeah. stages of life no i totally agree and uh, i mean the, the scripture you make reference to is 1 corinthians 7 and there's a whole passage there uh i've got it up on my computer here where you know paul talks about various different things and he says each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the lord has placed you um and i think it's that kind of wherever you are whatever you find yourself just live a life of God, right? And just let God's purposes and plans take place in your life and you can be fulfilled in whatever stage you're at. Um, and I think singleness has its benefits and I think marriage has its benefits and wherever you are, that's awesome. You know, that, and, and don't be afraid of that, I think. Um, so <laughs> we talked about this beforehand, um, but what is one of the best books on relationships that I can read? That's one of the questions that's coming. What is the best book on relationships that I can read? Have you got anything to say other than the blindingly obvious? What, which is the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I honestly haven't heard, I haven't read many books on marriage and relationships. Um, I think a really good one on marriage is um, the marriage book, which is by the people who write the Alpha Course. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good if you are married and you want some advice on practical things like good communication and strengthening your marriage and, you know, spending time together and investing in your marriage. Um, I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of resources out there. There's not really one that jumps out. I've heard lots of good talks on marriage and singleness and lots of mm. bad ones as well. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know that one really jumps out on relationships. How about mm. you? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've read lots of books on this whole topic, you know, and it's it's nice and easy to say the Bible. There is a specific book, I think John alluded to it, uh, in the Bible called The Song of Solomon, which is dedicated pretty much to this whole uh, idea of romance and relationships. And it's a bit steamy, that book, uh, that I think traditionally Jewish boys were not allowed to read it until they were 16. Um, there, there are a few things in there which you kind of go, OK, well, maybe, you know, this is helpful for most. Um I think that's very good. And there's been some great teaching around uh, around the Song of Solomon. But like you, I think there's a few books that I, there's a few, definitely a few books I've read that have helped me. Um, one of which Sharon will be laughing now is uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which is a fairly old book. But it's all about communication and how men communicate uh, like Martians and women communicate like they're from Venus, like Ven- Venusians. I don't know what, what you call someone from Venus. Anyway, it's two different languages. Uh, and so that was very helpful for me to understand uh, and help um, me understand communication a little bit better. That's for sure. But I think there's a lot of stuff out there. And I think um, The Five Languages of Love is a good book to read. I mean, some of these are secular books, some of them aren't. Um, but I think fundamentally, um, any, I, I read a book by, I'm trying to remember the lady's name, Mrs. Hagen. I can't remember her first name. She wrote a book called The Price is Not Greater Than God's Grace, um, talking about her marriage, which was just phenomenal. Um, and I think, you know, get around, for me, the best thing that I did, honestly, it was good to read books. It really was. But the best thing I did was I hung out with married couples uh, when I was in my mid-20s because I um, I grew up uh, in a divorced house. My parents divorced when I was nine. I'd not seen what it what a happy marriage was like and i think if you've if you've grown up in a in a family with a mum and dad that have stayed married i think you have a very different outlook on life than if you grow up in a home where actually there's a lot of broken relationships and unhappiness and maybe there's a lot of cheating going on do you know what i mean and all this what you get taught by osmosis is quite fascinating um, especially when you throw modern culture into that and what comes across uh, on tv is acceptable and so the best thing that I ever did was just hang out with people like Dave and Julie Connolly and just just watch them do life together, you know, and understand um, that actually you can have a great marriage. So, um, yeah, that I've, I've kind of gone off on one there, but that that's my answer. Yeah, I think I think that's really good advice. So, and I'd say that's not, you know, I'd say that right across the piece. So, whether you're whatever your relationship status, whether you're married or you're single, I think. For me, something I've really realized more and more, and even since I've been married, is that family is God's design and marriage is part of family, but also like family is so much broader than just the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Like I've talked about this before, but like our family, like I'm married, we've got one child and we'd always hoped to have a bigger family and that's not been possible for us. but you know, it's again, it's challenged me. And and it was a challenge when I was single as well to kind of think family isn't just about your nuclear family. It's about, it's about friends and your wider community. And I think community is so important, whether you're, you know, just because you're in a marriage doesn't mean you're not lonely. And just because you're single doesn't mean you are. But I think to kind of not expect one relationship to to ever give you everything and I think John made that point that ultimately God is your most important relationship Mm. but above and beyond that I think just being part of a bigger church family and community and friendship groups around you and you know if you're married looking out for single people and having them around and vice versa that that kind of stuff made it was really important for me and even now that I'm in a family I think hanging out with other families or still having singles around it's it's still really important to me because my little family doesn't fulfill all my needs either in Mm. terms of relationship and connection either so yeah I I think it's it's so important to see ourselves as part of a bigger community and a bigger Mm. church family as well yeah that's really good that's really good 
Um, one of the questions that's come in, and I, I really want to get into this because I've seen the this question actually cause a lot of problems uh, in people. Is there uh, just one person for us to marry? Does the Bible say that there is one person for us to marry and that's it? That's a good question, isn't it? It is. What do you think? Oh, are you going to put me on the spot first? Okay. I think not. I don't think there is one, just one person. I think in lots of areas of life, God gives us choice. He, mm. You know, I feel like there's lots of choices that God gives us. What you do, what you know, where you work, um, where you live, how you live, who you marry. I think they're all things that God gives us free choice on. Mm. And actually, destiny isn't something that's really narrow and really defined like as far as i can read in the bible life is about love god love people around you mm -hmm. and that they're absolutes to live by and that's what jesus says is the greatest commandments and everything mm -hmm. else i think is more pretty much up for grabs like mm -hmm. you know god's like the rest of it you know as long as you're seeking to honor me and love me and love those around you it's kind mm -hmm. of up to you what you do with your time and your life mm -hmm. and how you live and the choices you make. So, no, I don't. I don't think there is one person, and, and that's not been my experience. I don't think I, I, you know, I've dated people probably that I could have gone on and married and didn't for different reasons. And um, I, I think you can make it. You know, I think you've got a choice and make a decision, and then, and and also I think you can make a decision and marry someone. And you know, I've seen friends that this has happened to as well that they've gone into a marriage and genuinely believed it would be forever and that they were making the right decision and then that other person's made decisions later mm. that have undone that marriage mm. and yeah you you can't always know what's ahead and you know we, we make decisions based on the knowledge we've got in front of us yeah and you know we try to honor god and i think that's the best we can do and no i don't think it's as narrow as there's one one mm. thin path and if you miss it then you've missed it yeah, I'd agree. And the reason I wanted to get into this, I mean, you've mentioned it. I've seen it where usually men, uh, and I'm going to pick on the men because, you know, I can, right? Um, uh, it's usually there's a man in the relationship that goes, oh, there's only one person that I was destined to marry. And obviously the person I've married is not that person. Because you mentioned earlier uh, when we were off camera, when you bring two perfect people, imperfect people together, you're going to get an imperfect marriage, right? It just is. It's going to have conflict. It's going to have tension. It's not going to be, you know, the fairy tale, the Cosbys. There's, there's reality involved in this, and you have to work hard at it. And so I've seen people um, uh, who shall remain nameless, but I know people that have said this was not the person God, you know, ordained for me to marry, therefore I'm going to leave them because this person over here is obviously the person that God has ordained for me to marry. Um, and I think it's dangerous thinking. Uh, and like you, I kind of think we have a choice. We have a choice in who we marry. But here's the key, right? Once you have got married, then that that is the one person God has got for you, right? So you, you, that's it, right? You just, you're there and you've got to think that way and you've got to act like that um, wherever possible. It's not always possible, but I think absolutely it's it's phenomenal. Um uh sharon has put here in the comments all the boundaries so going back to the idea of um books uh can you what's the best book on relationships that i can read that was a question so all the boundaries books are great there is one series called boundaries in marriage by dr john townsend so uh read that and that will no doubt be it. all the boundaries stuff is good actually um so uh have to have to do that so here's a question for you come in what happens if i've got divorced um and because again a lot of the church's teaching is get married don't get divorced um and i think there are occasions where divorce is permissible uh, might be a little bit shocking to say uh, we have done a little bit of teaching on this in the past you can check out those videos if you like um, there are occasions where divorce may be permissible um i personally don't have an issue um with remarriage for example i know people have got divorced and then is there an issue with remarriage in church um, I, I, again, we've done stuff on that in the past, which you can check out. And I think um, the, the bottom line is this. God's grace is big enough, right? 
we are all flawed and fallen human beings. And I think there is things where we do have God's perfect best and his, his ideal, which we don't attain. Can God's grace cover that? Yes. Can he work through that? Yes. Um, can forgiveness rule and reign? Yes. Um, and I think, can God work in a marriage that's complex and difficult? Yes. You know, there, there's a lot. This is why, why we, were, we said right at the start, this is complex. Uh, this is a complex topic. And I think, um, again, wherever you are uh, on the spectrum, God loves you. First and foremost, in your relationship with him, work on that, you know, is, is the primary thing. Have you got anything to throw in there, Anna? Did I miss anything on that? No, I agree. And I think you're right. There's there's a lot of grace. And I think God is for people, isn't he? He's for relationships. And um, he wants them to work. He wants to help us make them work. But sometimes for lots of complex reasons they just don't people make bad decisions and hurt one another and break things mm. and i think god's got grace for that um mm. and i also think he has the ability um to turn situations around so like talks about re remarriage i think you know i've seen that with friends who've had divorces you know and been left heartbroken really um by you know partners walking out on them and stuff like that and you know god's been gracious and brought mm. someone else their life afterwards and i think that's an amazing thing i think that's god's grace and his restoration and yeah i just think the bottom line is god is for us and he loves us and i love the fact that john started there yeah. that's his sort of very first point in that talk i think it's so true and that's kind of the bottom line you've got to keep coming back to rather than this kind of legalism about rules because, yeah. you know, of course, God gives us boundaries, but the bottom line is his love for us and his grace. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon's put here, I love uh, love it that God is a God of redemption and can bring good out of our messy situations mm -hmm. and where we or other people have made a mess. I totally agree with that. So um, and I think that's that's the key message in all of this, isn't it, really? Um, I think my testimony is this been married for 23 years i wrote it down uh, <laughs> the actual number so i got it right um i've been married for 23 years marriage for me has been incredible um and i mean just way more than i ever expected it to be i you know I, I looked out um i definitely punched above my weight uh, and the fact that sharon has not killed me yet is just nothing short of a miracle let me tell you i'm not the easiest person to live with um and I think my story is this. I came from a broken family. I'd never seen a, a, a relationship that had worked. But I, I, I felt like I could get married. That was something that was, was right for me. And my story 23 years later is it has just been extraordinary. And it gets better and better. And I think when you do it God's way and you follow God's rules and you follow God's plan and purposes, it just seems to work out. It's not saying it's easy. But it is amazing. Uh, and so, yeah, Tracy's put here, you are loved big, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's talking to Matt Crew. Maybe me as well. I don't know. Maybe the both of us. Um, so one of the comments, uh, uh, one of the questions that's come in is, is talked about what happens if you're married to a non-Christian. Um, and uh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually talks about this. And I'm just going to read it out to you. Um uh, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer or is not a Christian and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And made it make a point here that the decision was with his unchristian wife, not him. So the Christian guy, um, he is he's to stay married and he is to serve faithfully in that marriage uh, as long as she wants to uh, stay married. Um, for the Christian, uh, and if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing, this is 1 Corinthians 7 verse 13, if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. So it's a, you know, works both way rounds. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. And so I think that is that's quite an extraordinary statement to say you bring holiness to your marriage. What, and I'm going to throw you right in the deep end, what does that mean? Well, I think that 
it probably means that you bring God into your relationship. Um, you know, put at the most simple level, you know, as believers, each of us carry something of God's presence with us. And I think if you, if you have that in your life, then you bring that into your relationship and you bring it to your partner and to the rest of your family, if you've got a family. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I often, it's so often thrown around that verse about do not be yoked with unbelievers. I heard that a lot growing up in church, you know, as well, it says do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that was thrown around a lot in church, you know, just kind of as a warning, like don't marry a non-Christian sort of as a teenage Christian, that's what I was always taught. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that's not wise advice it is. Um, I think it's easier to have the same faith in a marriage. Um, but I also think, again, it comes back to God's grace. Like God's got a lot of grace for mm. relationships and he's for people and he's for relationships. And, you know, I do have a number of friends who have married um, people who don't share the same faith as them. Um, I do have a number of friends who are in that situation and they have amazing marriages um, and, yeah and you know there's lots of different reasons for that um but yeah i think god god's grace is in all relationships generally um so yeah i think it can work i think sometimes it can be you know it can take some work and i think you need to kind of be on the same page even if you don't have exactly the same beliefs i think it's easier if you've got the same values and stuff mm. uh, but yeah i i don't think it's always a deal breaker um Certainly, you know, I've seen it work really well for some friends who perhaps made those decisions because they were like, you know, getting on a little bit later into life and hadn't met a Christian. Mm. Um, I think that's really practical stuff, actually. Um, certainly, as a, certainly as a young female in church, there aren't as many Christian men as there are Christian women in churches. Mm. And that's a really real factor. And I know... Um, just statistically, not every single woman will necessarily meet a Christian. So, um, you know, arguably singleness is an option, isn't it? Mm. But equally an, an option you can consider as a non-Christian. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know personally if I'd be in a, a rush to go down that road, but I get what you're saying. And I think even if you meet a Christian guy, and again, I've seen this problem, you know, where women have married Christian men because they are Christians and that's it. Uh, but yeah. fundamentally, they are an utter waste of space. And I mean this with all due respect. God loves them. Uh, I am supposed to love them, and I do. I just don't necessarily like them. You know, they're men who are what I would call wet blankets. They're not necessarily great husband material. They just want you to mother them. Uh, and these are not these are not marriage material at all. And it and, goes back uh, to that thing of, of equal yoking, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah. That's not just about your faith or your values. That's part of it, but also there's lots of other areas where you can be equally or equally yoked with a person. You can just be a bad match yeah. in terms of like, I don't know, yeah, just your values, your kind of calling, what mm. you want to do in the future. Like, it, yeah, some of it is about common sense. Like, I wouldn't marry someone who says they want to go and live in Africa because that's not what I want to do. I'm going to disagree with you here. Now, I'll tell you why. Because when Sharon and I were dating, she wanted to go live in Africa. I didn't at all. And I wanted to go live in the States. And we, in fact, broke up over this very topic. Wow. Uh, because we felt like we had two very different callings. And here's the thing. Here was my little mini revelation. The Bible says when two people get to marry, get together and they get married, the two become one flesh. I think when you get married, the married couple inherits a new calling from God. And I think... So the call you have together might not be the same as the call you had as, in, as singles or as individuals. Um, and you know what? We seem to have made it work. So I, I get that you wouldn't do that. I did. And it seems to have worked out. That's all I'm I'm not saying everyone should do it. I'm just saying for me, I've done well. Anyway, what's that quote from the Jerry Maguire film? Uh, I love my life. I love my wife. And I wish you my kind of success. Right. And um, I think... It's an amazing thing to be able to say, but like we've said many times, singleness is celebrated, marriage is celebrated, whatever state you find yourself in, live it in the fullness of God's grace uh, and, you know, and and be amazed what happens, right? Um, I'm aware of time, so I think we'll wrap up that conversation street there. That, that was meaty. That was fun. I feel like we're just 
scratching the uh, the top of the surface that surface there it is worth saying i know john uh, i i'm going to use the word sex i appreciate we are before the watershed um uh, john did mention that briefly in his talk we are going to be talking uh in the new year kirsten actually john's wife um is going to do the talk what does the bible say about sex that is coming up we are going to get into that whole topic a little bit deeper because we know that is one of the key things that people ask us about so that is coming but that's not happening next week Anna what's happening next week next week we have got the lovely Sloanes John uh, James and Hannah Sloan are gonna be this is actually the first time this is happening isn't it where mm -hmm. you've got a couple talking together so yeah, it's gonna I'm be excited. a tag team as as the talk and they're talking about money and work so that's correct. Yeah, yeah. again a big one to cover but sounds great yeah, it would have been actually interesting to have John and Kirsten do the one on marriage. I thought that might have been quite interesting to watch. Yeah. One of the things to say, actually, is in the new year, we are thinking of doing the marriage course, which is part of the uh, Alpha course. It's where, as married couples, we get together. We have conversations about our marriage, communications, and all that sort of stuff in a way to try and Im uh, improve our marriage. If that is something you would like to know more about, do get in touch with us. Uh, either via the website or via the WhatsApp number, which is on your screen now. We would love to hear from you, um, and we can, uh, if there's, you know, if there's enough interest, we may put something together and whack that out there at some point in the early new year. So that'll be exciting to do that. Uh, in the meantime, just to say uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. We are going to play another worship song. Um, and when that song finishes, the live stream will automatically end. Uh, so from, well, from my, I, I don't want to speak for you, Anna, certainly from me. Uh, it's been, it's been great chatting to you. Shan just put here in the comments. We always seem to cover massive subjects in such a short amount of time. Yes, we do. Okay. That seems to be our MO. Why give something six months when you can do it in 20 minutes? That's... <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant Anna thank you so much for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure again to host with you as always yeah it's been an absolute pleasure to be here it's fun talking and yeah I love the fact we cover so much ground in such a short time <laughs> it's great yeah. it's great wonderful thanks guys bless you and we will see you next week uh, so that's it from us bye for now